Mike has fob, the fear of missing McRib. So he cleared his calendar. Yo, dude, backstage passes? Nah. Hey, babe, this weekend? Ugh, can't do it. What up? That sounds great, but count me out. Do what you gotta do. Just don't miss the return of the sandwich, the myth, the legend, the McRib. Come into McDonald's today and get a delicious, saucy McRib sandwich. Made even better with the one-of-a-kind taste of Dr. Pepper, the one you crave. At participating McDonald's for a limited time. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Polo Tate. As a modern-day Renaissance woman, Polo is an actor, author, writer, and comedian performing all over New York City and Los Angeles. She is on a mission for all to see, feel, and understand their own self-worth empowerment, and value. Polo loves people, lives every moment to the fullest, lets no one take her joy, and avidly practices the belief that you can do anything upon which you set your mind, heart, and spirit. Polo and I will be having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her recently released memoir, Deep Dark Blue, A Memoir of Survival. Good morning, Paulo. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, Johnny. I'm doing really well. How are you doing? Fantastic. It is bright and sunny in Dallas, Texas. 50 degrees. I can't complain. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds magical. It's sunny here in New York, but definitely not as warm. (laughs) (laughs) It's a pleasure to have you on here with me. Deep Dark Blue is a very compelling read. It is very well written. Thank you for sharing. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's, uh, it's nice to have the book out, and I appreciate you reading it. I appreciate you taking it in so strongly. You're welcome. It is a wonderful, special book. Let us start by getting to know you a little better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. Sure. I was born and raised in East Lansing, Michigan. Another very cold place in the winter. (laughs) Um, My family had deep ties to the community. My great-great-grandfather was Ransom Eli Olds, who was a prolific inventor. Uh, He invented the car, the Oldsmobile, the assembly line, and a bunch of other things. And that brought him to the capital city of Michigan, which was Lansing. So my mom was born and raised in Michigan as well. And I'm now fifth generation uh, on our family foundation for the Ari Olds Foundation. So philanthropy was big in my family. Um, At the age of seven, I lost my sister in a horseback riding accident. And immediately I became the only child and sort of the sole focus of our now three-person family. Mm-hmm. And I put a lot of pressure on myself. I was always a really driven child. I played sports ever since I was, I think I was riding a bike at two and a half years old, throwing a ball at <laughs> probably when I was a zygote. <laughs> um, I, I loved playing on a team. I love teamwork, mm-hmm. and so I was a really active uh, child. 
and that carried me through when I was in high school. I played three varsity sports all four years. I was on National Honor Society, wanted to achieve, achieve, achieve. And I ended up being recruited all over the country for sports, but I had narrowed it down to West Point, the Air Force Academy, mm -hmm. and Notre Dame. And when I went out on recruiting trips for volleyball and basketball, I fell in love with both the Air Force Academy and Notre Dame. And it really came down to the two of those mm -hmm. competing for, for what I really wanted to experience. And I decided to go for the challenge of the Air Force Academy. My mission was always to go into the FBI. I loved people. Mm -hmm. that, was, that was my most favorite thing. And if I could have majored in people, I would. So I did the next <laughs> best thing, which was behavioral science. What makes people tick and make the decisions that they do. And so that was my path. And the path of least resistance, if you want to work for any mm -hmm. of the alphabet soup for our government, um, <laughs> CIA, FBI, is to go through a service academy. You're already vetted. The admissions process is a two-year-long process. It's very intense. And so I, I wanted to challenge myself to the fullest to go to this elite institution that would is the consummate education for leadership and mm -hmm. to be able to fly and to be able to do all of those things that at a civilian university I wouldn't necessarily get a chance to do. And that's what I did. Fantastic. Got a couple of really wonderful follow-up questions here. Number one, you have this wonderful family lineage. Okay. So does that mean that you get a free SUV for life? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're not the first to ask me that. <laughs> Unfortunately, no. <laughs> My oh. grandfather probably, but, <laughs> but it's so interesting. Ransom was a prolific inventor. He was an inventive spirit. He mm -hmm. was a brilliant, brilliant man. And progressive. He had two daughters. Um, really interesting, amazing person. And mm -hmm. what he loved to do was allow his creativity to flow and to put to manifest these things that he created in his mind. So he was, of course, he started, you know, Ario Speedwagon is one of mm -hmm. his inventions after which the band was named, um, <laughs> like I mentioned, the assembly line and the car and all of these yeah. really brilliant things. However, he had sold the automotive business, Oldsmobile, to GM yeah. and, um, and really stayed inventing and doing all of those things and eventually philanthropy and, and lived a, mm -hmm. a beautiful life. Mm -hmm. I wish. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I wish there was that man an SUV for life. <laughs> It's not too late to pull up an old papyrus paper that said something like that and let them have to discredit it. Exactly. I think the moment they saw SUV, that would probably discredit it. But you have to understand, my great-great-great-great-grandfather has this vision back then. It's an SUV. Utilitous vehicles. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Isn't an SUV like a stagecoach on wheels with a power engine? They oh, my gosh. Say anything about channeling that. him. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm Horse just kidding. power to boot. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Anyway, the other thing is that you were definitely a diehard athlete when you were in school. So I got to ask you this. Uh, did you sleep with your soccer ball or your basketball? How did you know that? 
<laughs> because I did I, myself. <laughs> you did? Oh, my gosh. That's really funny. You're the first person who has ever asked me that. And, yes, I absolutely did, whatever season I was in. And, and usually yeah. I was in double seasons every uh-huh. season for right, sports. Right. I would absolutely have a volleyball, a basketball, a soccer ball in my bed with me every night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did that. I had uh, a soccer ball, field hockey. <laughs> Guys don't play yes. field hockey here, but in Malaysia we do. And then I played wow. rugby. And oh, of course, it was funny. And the only reason I ended up having to choose soccer over everything else is because my coach says you can only play one game. And so this is, right. you know, when you get into senior high, that is. Right. Work, right. But I love all the sports. When I first came to the United States, I told people, look, I can kick a 45-yard field goal. Uh-huh. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> Needless wow. to say, I won a lot of money. <laughs> Okay, anyway. It's always something nice to have in your back pocket, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, are you sure? Are you kidding me? And they even put it on a, what you call it, it's like a kickoff stand, right, for football? Yeah, so it's oh, yeah. even better. Oh, Perfect. my gosh. Great. <laughs> that so, is amazing. Anyway. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so why volleyball, basketball, you know, and soccer? It's such a beautiful question. And I think it's so interesting. I was I was drawn to team sports, and I'm not exactly mm-hmm. sure why. I used to swim when I was really little, um, yeah. and that was more of an individual sport. Even though you're on a swim team, obviously, you compete individually. And right. I, for some reason, I was just drawn to the connectivity with a team sport. Basketball, soccer was the first sport I ever played um, in organized in an organized way basketball was the second and to this day i think the free throw line is my happy place still whenever i meditate (laughs) that's usually where i go in my mind (laughs) but but volleyball is really the consummate team sport it is such a beautiful pure non-contact sport in which you have to rely on your teammates in order to get Mm -hmm. the job done nobody can ball hog nobody can play dirty you know it's it's such a pure, beautiful sport, and, and that is one of the things that I absolutely loved about it. In fact, I, was just, I just went back to Notre Dame and, and stayed with my old coach at mm-hmm. Notre Dame, and we talked at length about the beauty of the sport and just how really pure and, and uniting and unifying and uh, – exponentially motivating and inspiring it can be when you get when each team is on their side and they're focusing on only what they do and then mm-hmm. once they hand the ball to the other team then of course your your reaction to what they do with it but it's it's such a pure beautiful sport right i agree with you i think there's a lot that need to be said about team sports they're not understood because a lot of times the spotlight's on the quote-unquote major superstar or something like that, but it's not an individual sport. You are individually talented, but when you combine with five other people on the field or in soccer in this case, 10 other people collectively, that's the superpower. Oh, so much. And, you know, there are life lessons, of course, mm-hmm. woven throughout every sport. And it's right. such a it's such a brilliant playground for those ideas and and learning how to deal with losing and learning how to win gracefully and you know all those beautiful things right, that right, right. that we learn from sports we learn from the arts all that good stuff. 
Very, very interesting. Did you have your future kind of pretty much all mapped out by 18? I mean, you seem to have everything focused. And I'm not saying that you don't have fun, but you just like sort of got everything planned out. <laughs> I I did. I think losing my sister at such a young mm-hmm. age and feeling now the pressure and the inclination, I never wanted to see my parents sad again. I never wanted to see them hurt that badly again. And so I took on the role of being that little perfectionist child. And I think when you assume a role, I think you teach people very much how to treat you, right? So Mm -hmm. I assumed Mm -hmm. that role. And I think my parents uh, absolutely supported it. And, and we became this family unit where it was expected to be successful and to do mm-hmm. well and to give my all and and to achieve and so I very much took that to heart and I took it quite seriously I mean I, I not that I didn't have fun I I always yeah. have fun yeah. I can't <laughs> I can't hide that from my personality <laughs> but but I definitely was driven and, and regimented and had a structure and much more so then I think in in coming from a place of fear that I would somehow mm-hmm. disappoint or uh, fail in this onus that I had taken on to be the flag bearer of my family. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I say that with a, with a full knowing that my parents had told me from my sis, both my sister and I, from the day that we were born that we can do be or have anything we want in this world. And I, and I truly believe that. Mm-hmm. And there are also traumatic circumstances that every family goes through, whether it's tragedy and loss and love and divorce and separation and anything like that, where you find yourself assuming these roles where you're worried about other people before you're worried about yourself. And I, I think from that state, it can be a really arduous struggle in ways. There's a lot of pressure that you put on yourself. And I put a tremendous amount of pressure on myself by the time I was 18, I absolutely had what I thought was going to be my life mapped <laughs> out. Yeah. Yeah. And like we all know that God laughs right. when that is such a <laughs> set in stone plan. It's true. It's very true. Why did you decide to write Deep Duck Blue? I wrote it. My original intention was just to get through it for myself. Mm-hmm to heal, to put out all my emotions on paper, to get out everything that had happened so that I could sort out how I felt, where Mm -hmm. I was, how to survive this chaos that I had been through, this violence that I had been through and this loss that I felt and betrayal and all of those things. And it was essential for me to really be able to sort through it all so that I could finally align with that little voice inside of my head that protested to the fact that I was not living my joy, that I had given my power away, that I had, mm-hmm. I had somehow lost the spark of who I knew myself to be deep down. And I sought to get it published so that everybody and anyone who has been through something similar, anybody who has dealt with tragedy, loss, grooming, 
bullying, doing things for others, people pleasing, all of those things that we face and find ourselves in the middle of that you can absolutely transcend that. It is not Mm -hmm. a Mm -hmm. sentence and and an imprisonment. We have the choice to take a beat and look inside and really live with your heart open and how you know your true self can be. Right. So true. Please share with us the synopsis of the book. Sure. I, it's a memoir about my time as a cadet at the Air Force Academy. I, like I said, came there just rip-roaring, ready to go. Basic training was in the summer before volleyball season started and then the school year started, and I got off to a bang. I put 200% into everything that I did, started off basic training, just giving my all and finding success and being broken down as a civilian so that I could be rebuilt as a soldier. Mm-hmm. I loved my teammates. Uh, the volleyball team at the Air Force Academy was incredible. And when the school year started, I was like, this is what it feels like to have a greater mission, to be part of the nation's greatest team, mm-hmm. to really talk about the consummate team sport. If you're, if you're in the service, no matter which branch, you are comprised, I mean, you are the nation's team. And your mission and job is so much greater than yourself to defend our beautiful country. And it started off really well. And then the very close friend that I thought I had made in our team captain, the only senior on our volleyball team, I realized had slowly drawn me out deeper and deeper into the ocean, away from shore, away from the shore of my friends my classmates, my squadron mates, and eventually she ended up sexually assaulting me. And about three weeks later, a male cadet came into my room, knocked me off of my feet, and ended up violently sexually assaulting me as well. And from then, I stayed silent. In the beginning, I just, I didn't know what to do, but I knew that I was irrevocably changed. And I knew that if I wanted to live my dream and continue going to this school and serving my country in the way that I had planned to do, then I better pull myself up by my bootstraps and get over all of this, quote unquote, and move on. And of course, when you try to compartmentalize something so toxic and so violent and so brutal that you end up, it manifests itself in other ways. And to attackers who were at Yusafo were still there. I had to see them every day. I had, while I was trying to quote unquote, get over this all. And so eventually I, my performance tanked, my physicality tanked. I couldn't hold anything down food-wise. And another teammate of mine who happened to be in my squadron came into my room one day and was like, what is going on? You were this amazing cadet. Your light shines so bright. Why are you not functioning? 
And in my disassociative state, I told her about the first attack. And from that moment, I knew that I had pulled a pin on the grenade that was my life. And, and it was just a matter of time before our team would blow up. My life at the academy would blow up and my life in general would blow up. And from then on, it was, there was a trial and you'll have to read the book to find out (laughs) what, what eventually happened, the detail of what happened. But it was one of the hardest things that I've ever been through in my life. I really thank you for sharing. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is Polo Tate. As a modern-day Renaissance woman, Polo is an actor, author, writer, and comedian performing all over New York City and Los Angeles. She's on a mission for all to see, feel, and understand their own self-worth empowerment, and value. Polo is devoted to wholly embody the principle that no one can take your joy when you live heart first. Polo and I are having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her recently released memoir, Deep Dark Blue, a memoir of survival. Polo, when this happened, you know how things go. The blame is always on you. I mean, usually. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about, yeah. respectfully. I mean, it takes two, yeah. right? I mean, no one can force Absolutely. you. Where did you go there? Where did you go this and so forth? So what is that internal reaction within yourself? Because, like, why me? What did I do? How did I contribute to the situation? So can you at least share that with us? Well, I think as we've seen in this country over the past few months, mm-hmm. there is a very strong, I think it's a very strong inclination to blame yourself, take all of the responsibility for what happens to you, especially when it's, when it has to do with violence or sexual assault. There is, of course, people who are victim of that and who are, who experience that from another automatically blame themselves. What did I do mm-hmm. to bring this on? This must be what I'm worth. You know, all of those, all of those things. And, and you realize when you take a step back, the moment mm-hmm. after it happens, there is a choice to make, right? You can either yeah. stay yeah. in that old story and you can stay bound to that old story like handcuffs or a straitjacket to what happened in the past or you can look at all sides of what you were just saying and figure out what were the beliefs that I had about myself that maybe put me in a position where I didn't see signs earlier. And I'm, I'm not saying that people who, like myself, who go through sexual assault or, or who fall victim to physical violence are in the wrong. I think right, so right. often... I think so often we feel on some level that we're not worthy of being here. And I think it is crucial that whatever you do in this lifetime, that you, you get quiet and you truly listen to the beat of your heart. Because if you're willing to open up your heart and quiet the chatter of 
your brain and society and all of those things that contribute to a greater discourse that goes against the fact that you're worthy just by the fact that you're here and you're worthy right. for all the innate gifts that you have and for everything that you are. And I think I, both of these, all, every single experience in my life has ultimately pointed to my opportunity to do that, exactly that, really, mm -hmm. to understand the worthiness that I have just to be here and the gifts mm -hmm. that I have to give and to allow myself to feel my way through things, understand the bigger picture of the connection between all living beings and to really understand what my purpose is and then, of course, to put that purpose into, to put my passion into purpose with how can I serve. Right. So I think right. it was the beginning. It was truly the beginning. And, and I, there, I absolutely believe that I had not dealt with my sister's death fully either. And mm -hmm. like many of the listeners, I'm sure, understand when the rug is completely ripped out from under you, then usually you're, uh, the lowest point at which you fall is stopped at the first, place, uh, the first thing that you haven't dealt with. Right. And those first things that really cracked your soul in a way that if you haven't let it heal, then you're going to go right back to the initial injury. And so what happened at the Air Force Academy was absolutely my opportunity to stop. In fact, the universe has a, a beautiful <laughs> way of hitting you over the head with a brick until you do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, to stop and take a moment and, and really understand and heal from every one of those traumas. Right, right. What's interesting, though, I mean, I'm sure you experienced it yourself or others that you have encountered is the fact that the concept of why me? And then, of course, the intentions. No one intended to be a victim. I mean, it's just right. preposterous. And so regardless of what society or your environment trying to make you think, that's not your intent. And no one deserves right. it because we all do have free will and the choices. We didn't choose that. But if it happened, mm -hmm. then how do we maneuver? How do we pivot away from that in a positive way? Oh, that's, that's the ultimate question, right? Mm -hmm. That's the ultimate question that, that these types of situations afford the opportunity to do. And it's really to look at what you want. What is your intention for your life? What do right. you really want in, in your life? And, and those are the buoys that, that can help guide you back to the surface of the water when you are mm -hmm. drowning in something so dark and sinister. And, you know, that, that question, why me? It's a, it's a difficult question. And it's something one often asks in isolation mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. usually can only be answered by remembering the fact that we are not in isolation. It's a really, it, it seems antithetical <laughs> when you're <laughs> sitting alone in your room and you're closing your eyes to take a moment and listen to the beat of your heart. 
it, it's it's hard to remember that, but boy, if you can remember for one moment that there are first of all there are others who have gone through what you've gone through that you were not targeted for any reason that has to do with your unworthiness, your being a bad person, your guilt over doing or not doing something in your past. There are no punishments that any person could inflict on you to change your somehow guilt over something or behavior. That is, Mm -hmm. you are not, you don't deserve any of that. You deserve nothing but love. And I think we get we get caught in that quagmire of what you were saying, where we think we have to serve penance of some sort for doing right. or not doing something from our past, and and right. that's bunk. We're all worth so much more than that, and we deserve right. so much more than that. What was fear to you at the time when all this was happening? Wow, that's such a good question. I think. Wow, that's a powerful question because I think I think fear changes depending on how acute you feel the danger is. Mm-hmm. So at the time, I probably would have said, while I was at the Air Force Academy, of course, I feared for my life. I feared that I would be attacked again. I feared that my fellow cadets would continue to shun me, that I wouldn't be able to live my dream. But ultimately, I think... Fear is not having faith enough to live in the present moment. Mm-hmm. Fear is being imprisoned by the restrictions and the confines of your past story, and it keeps you small. I think fear is is truly a construct of your brain <laughs> in its <laughs> fight-or-flight brilliance. Mm-hmm. When you don't understand the power of our connectivity and the power that we have to create worlds, when we when we tap into that place of which we are all one. True. Fear, in some ways, is a protectant for all of us. It's a natural instinct that helps protect us. The point is, how far do we give into fear? And I love the fact that you shifted from fear to something positive in the sense that resiliency came into mind in reading your book in terms of how you process the happenings, mm, so to speak. So much. Absolutely. And fear, in a lot of ways, fear is a gift. It has right. kept us alive for thousands and thousands of years. Mm-hmm. I mean, your amygdala, your lizard brain, if a, <laughs> if a tiger was around the corner, it's going to like, it's going to put into effect all of those physical symptoms of fear. Fear is a gift. Right. It tells us not to walk down a dark, lonely street at night. Mm-hmm. It tells us to leave the party when we should. It, it right. puts the hairs up on the back of your neck if you're going into a dangerous situation that your conscious brain hasn't cued into yet but your lizard mm-hmm. brain has got your back. So absolutely. <laughs> and it also is coming from your brain. So when you are sitting in a room alone and you are scared to death of roller coasters and you think about a roller coaster, and even though you're in the safety confines of your room and not on a roller coaster, if you start to panic and sweat, 
that is fear owning you. And that mm-hmm. makes no sense because, of course, you're safe and sound. So it's a, it's a matter of really understanding, first of all, where that fear is and really turning into it, asking that fear what it's trying to tell you, listening to it. You know, so many people try to either power through and wrestle it to the ground or beat it to the ground or ignore it completely. Right. And your, your body, your brain, your heart, all, all of your, the beauty and wonder that it is to be human has mm-hmm. such brilliant communication with us if we would just turn into it and listen. And guaranteed, if you, if you ask that fear what that's all about, it's going to reveal itself. And it's going to reveal itself to either something that is legitimate and and you really should heed or something that is a construct from a past story that you have the opportunity in that moment to transcend and let go. Mm -hmm. Fear is Mm -hmm. powerful. Very true. When did you decide to pivot into a new phase of your college life? (laughs) Well, (laughs) after I left the Air Force Academy, and I, I took about a year off to really get healthy and strong enough to be able to start college again. I, I went to the University of Notre Dame, and that was my opportunity to really ask myself, what was it that I really wanted to do? Here I've got this incredible opportunity to sort of start my college career over, and and more so, moreover, kind of start my, my life over. In, and I chose to really ask myself, what was it that I wanted? Not what I thought my parents wanted, not what I thought my family legacy wanted, not what I thought I should do, but what did I really want to do? And the same love for people <laughs> reared its head again. <laughs> and so instead of going for a behavioral analysis, um, degree in, in behavioral science to go into the FBI to profile criminals. I wanted to do something lighter, more sustainable, more creative. And so I took the same study of people and I switched it to film, television, and theater <laughs> in, in studying acting, much to my parents' mm-hmm. dismay, I'm sure. <laughs> but <laughs> but it really, it, it was the same study of human behavior, but a much right lighter, more sustainable outcome. Very, very interesting. So how does that change you in some ways? By the time you graduated, what's different about Polo? Hmm. In some senses, there is a world of difference in that mm-hmm. I shed the expectations of others that I took on and the onus of being somehow being something different than I truly am, being more than who I need to be, doing things for others. Mm-hmm. I was able in in finally getting quiet and in writing the book and in shedding light on all the darkest corners of my inner mind, heart, spirit experience and really just shining light into all the darkest corners, I was able to truly work through all of those things that, that had really haunted me. 
do that, I think you offer yourself an opportunity to align with your true spirit and with your inner self so -hmm. that your actions and what you say and do on the outside match how you feel truly on the inside. And when Mm -hmm. you're in that alignment, I think it allows you to live an authentic life. And Mm -hmm. the trick is to (laughs) truly check in with yourself and organically live in that alignment as much as you can. And so I, I love my life now. I love being Mm -hmm. able to connect with, uh, readers who have read my book to speak about empowerment and issues that we face every day and understanding our worth and how incredible it is that we're having this human experience here. I love acting. I love writing. I love being a comedian. I love improv. I love mm-hmm. cultivating, really seeing someone's superpowers and and fostering and cultivating it within them and then eliciting it from them and then celebrating it. I I love that. Mm -hmm. I think we do that every single day when we enter into a conversation with people. So the fact that I can do it on a little larger scale, I am so honored and I love it. Fantastic. What would you like for readers to gain from reading Deep Dark Blue? Believe me, it's all three of those things. (laughs) Um, Oh, I think the beauty of it is that everybody is going to take something different. And however you come to the book is what you elicit from it. And for me, that's a gift. I I want people to to find what they need or what they love or Mm -hmm. what they hate or what triggers them in in a good way to offer them opportunity to change and to ultimately realize that no matter what, we go through in this life. We are not alone. We are absolutely worthy of being here. And no one can take your joy. So how did humor and comedy permeated into Polo Tate? <laughs> I think it it came through the cracks in every which way. I think <laughs> I think the trick is to try to keep humor out of your life, no matter how dark and dire things uh-huh. are at times. There uh-huh. is humor sneaks its way in. I mean, laughter comes from surprise, from the unexpected, right? And mm-hmm. boy, is there a ton of that in the world right now. <laughs> so <laughs> it's uh, it was organic to my very being from the get go. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I I also think it. Comedians are some of, those, some of the most brilliant observers that we have. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. artists are our storytellers, and I think we desperately need humor, and it can't help but, but come up in our world as, as sort of the antidote to mm-hmm. darkness and tragedy. So of are course, you a funny kid? <laughs> Are you a you funny know, kid when you were growing I, up? <laughs> God, I'm glad I'm I'm glad you're asking me that and not my friends <laughs> that I had while I was growing up. They may have a different answer. But oh God, I was always doing voices. I still have like a hundred thousand voices in my in my oh, head yeah. at any given moment. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> um in horrible impressions of people that I loved. Uh, yeah. <laughs> horrible Saturday Night Live mock videos that I made when, yeah. I, was, <laughs> when I was 10 years old. So, yes, yeah, comedy was always huge, always huge for me. <laughs> interesting. Very, very interesting. In your life's journey, 
when did faith, hope, and love appear? Mm. I think it never left and it never disappeared. And mm-hmm. I think that is the only way that I survived what I did and definitely mm-hmm. the only way that I've thrived since. I think the faith that the underlying faith that we are all connected, that all is really well, that we are supported and safe and exactly where we're supposed to be in any given moment. I think that's, that's always been there deep down. I, I, I really do think that's the language of our hearts. Mm-hmm. And so often mm-hmm. we, we listen to our brain over taking a moment and quieting our brain and listening to our hearts. And I think that is the, the connection that we all feel. And I, as far as hope, there is not a day or moment that has gone by in my life where I don't think things will turn out okay. And that was even in the darkest of times. Now, there were moments where I had no idea how, and I was so in such pain and in such physical and emotional pain where I was nearly non-functioning, and I didn't know how to cope or how to get through. But I, I knew that it was, in some sense, temporary. Mm-hmm. I didn't know when or how or what but there was always that sort of pinhole of light that you could at least put your pinky on until it got a little bit larger, until it got a little bit larger and you could see your feet in front of you. I, I think that's, that's just how I'm wired. But I, but I, do, I, I do think that love is my default setting. So I don't think those three <laughs> things ever really went away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. they... They, they may have been in the shadows for a while, but they were always there, if that makes sense. Sure. Yes, definitely. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. My guest is Polo Tate. As a modern-day Renaissance woman, Polo is an actor, author, writer, and comedian performing all over New York City and Los Angeles. She's on a mission for all to see, feel, and understand their own self-worth, empowerment, and value. Polo is devoted to wholly embodied the principle that no one can take your joy away when you live heart first. Polo and I are having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her recently released memoir, Deep Dark Blue, a memoir of survival. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Paulo, how do you define joy? Mm, what a yummy question. <laughs> I, think, um, I think joy for me right now is knowing who I am and being okay with it. Joy is being authentic in everything I am, everything I do, everything I say, and loving me for me because I, I think your capacity to love others is, is matched by the capacity you have to love yourself. And so often we don't start there. We look externally for things to fill you up. And, and I really think joy is living fully in every single moment and being 100% present and open and authentic. And I think in order to do that, you really have to know and love yourself. 
Mm-hmm. And it's been a journey, but it can be done. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my sanguine Savannah mom used to tell me, live like there's no tomorrow. However, always be prepared to live another day. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. There's some gung ho, you know, balls to the wall living there. Yes, exactly. And also having a go bag with a hundred dollars that gets you through it. There you go. There you go. Just in case like you it. made another day. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so good. <laughs> what is your life's purpose? I think I've, I have a, a life philosophy that I live by, and that is believe, be love, and be now. Believe that I can do, be, or have everything that I want. Mm-hmm. Be love, because I think that's my default setting. I think that's where I feel best is just to mm-hmm. understand and know that we are love. And to be now, to live in the present moment, and to truly embrace the magic of this life experience Mm -hmm. in every single moment without squandering that by thinking about the future or by being trapped in the past, but to truly take everyone and everything that you encounter as a, as a gift and a, (laughs) and a prop for life's game of improv that it is. (laughs) That's true. That's true. I mean, in the end, Life is about being in the moment. It's experiencing the here and now. Although at times that here and now might be painful, but then by tomorrow, it's a brand new sheet of paper for you to write a new day. It's so true. And and I think so often we forget that our now is the only place that we have power. We can't change the past we can't control the future and the stress that we feel and that we put ourselves through is in trying to do either one of those things and without realizing that you can't you have to be in the moment the only place that you really have power Mm -hmm. so that's so true the next day another sheet of paper a blank slate an unwritten Mm -hmm. story Mm -hmm. every day we're born anew Right. How does one live hot first? I think for me and, and maybe other people define it differently, but I think mm-hmm. I think so many of us operate from our brains, but it's our hearts that really connect us. And if more of us operated from a loving heart place, if more of us were in our bodies and really mm-hmm acted on those impulses that we have that that feel good and that feel really connected to our inner selves and our inner beings, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that we would have fewer fights and more success. <laughs> We'd have less yeah. lack and more recognition of the fact that there is abundance everywhere. I think we'd have less hate and way more love. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think, I think, we have this beautiful opportunity, especially in this world right now, as chaotic as it seems politically in the news, maybe even in your neighborhood with drama Mm -hmm. of your friends or, or people that you're witnessing. We have such an opportunity to sort of get 
quiet and quiet that chatter from our brains and open our hearts and realize that we're all the same. Mm -hmm. We are all humans going through this earthly experience. We all have a story, several, some of us, (laughs) (laughs) multiple, multiple stories. Yeah, that's when you get book one, book two, the series and everything else all (laughs) thrown into one, right? (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Stay tuned for volume 17. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, <laughs> but we're, we all have those things. And so often we forget that. We forget that in our, in our, the chatter that's going on in our brains. We forget that we're all coming from a place of life experience that has caused us to react in in ways that may not be what our heart says to, to do. Mm-hmm. And so if mm-hmm. we can take a beat and really tune into that, uh, how amazing, amazing, amazing life would be in every moment. So true. I agree with that. Where can someone go to buy your book, get more information about you and keep up with your latest happenings? You are welcome to go to polotate.com. That's P-O-L-O-T-A-T-E dot com. It's my website. You can buy my book there. You can also buy it on Amazon, in Barnes & Noble, anywhere that books are sold. And my beautiful publisher, Macmillan, has been incredible in the process. And my incredible literary agent, Jill, and my incredible team, Laura, everybody's just been really amazing and supportive. And polotate.com has everything that is me that I'm doing, that I've written. There are, there's so much content on there. Please feel free to, uh, to reach out to me and to really leave a message. I do check them and I do write them. I love, like I said, I love people. So any chance to connect, have at it. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> How has writing Deep Dark Blue impacted you personally? In a literary way, I think I actually learned how to write in writing this book, and I think you can only learn how to write when you really do it, right? (laughs) Um, But it has impacted me in every level of my being. It has allowed me to connect with people that I never would have connected with had I not written this book. It has allowed me to have conversations with some of the people that I love most in my life who Mm -hmm. didn't know what had happened. And my, my parents being two of them. Mm-hmm. So it, it has really, it's, a, it's an amazing process to really sit down and put all of your thoughts and your experiences and your feelings on paper. And if you're not one who is prone to lasso a friend and divulge your deepest, darkest secrets, then I fully encourage you to scream into a void, do something artistic, paint a painting, or take a pen and start writing because it is so essential to really have an opus and open and honest conversation with yourself. It was, it has been the most profound experience of my life so far. And I know that I will only keep having more and more and more because I opened the floodgate and was willing to be really honest and, and authentic. Do you feel that writing itself, the process, helps you heal? I do. For me, that that is one of the ways in which 
I heal best. I think it's so important to process all of those things. And, and for some people, it may not be writing, but it may be talking. It may be some other creative endeavor. It may be math, right. whatever it is. I, I do think there's something to be said for, for trusting someone enough to talk about, to talk about them to talk right. about what you've gone through and to talk to them and to really open that channel. Because so often we think, A, we're the only ones going through things. We think that we are alone in a solitary confinement of our own circumstance. And that was the beauty of in, in reading or in writing a book like this is to perhaps if I can allow one person to sort of reach out of their chamber of solitude and, and grab this book and to know that they're not alone. It's so important to find whatever that method is for you. For me, it's writing. And, mm-hmm. and it was absolutely practicing talking about it because there's something to be said for actually hearing the words come out of your mouth, of seeing right. the words being written on a piece of paper. It's powerful. It forces us to deal with things. That's true. So true. What's next for you? It's really good. I've just uh, written a television series, actually, that I'm really excited to mm-hmm. um, work with uh, my producer on packaging and pitching. And mm-hmm. I will write another book. I'm in the midst of, of writing that now and continue to speak. I've been asked to speak more and more about the topics that I cover in Deep Dark Blue. And, and that's always brilliant and amazing and I'll continue to perform in every way that I can mm-hmm. and I'm so appreciative of you for having me on uh, I appreciate your <laughs> my pleasure. thoughtful questions <laughs> oh thank you as we close the show since our show is about people family and living life what would you like to share as a recipe for living with our listeners this morning oh my recipe for life I think it is so important to every day take a moment to sit quietly by yourself and allow the silence to come and to see what comes of the silence so that you can start your day off in a proactive position as opposed to reacting to the world around you and reacting Mm -hmm. to the emergencies that come through your phone. (laughs) <laughs> or your email. <laughs> I think it's so important to to really know and recognize and acknowledge your worth, that you are so worthy to be here, that you are such a gift, that you are not alone, that you deserve every single thing that you want to do, be, or have in this life, and that no one can take your joy without your consent that you mm-hmm. are in charge of how you feel and taking that ownership and that responsibility allows the power to create worlds really to be at your back all the time. And that life is about connection and about being open-hearted and going after your passion so you can find your purpose and somehow serving that and really living Hartford. Wonderful. That's beautiful. If you were to encounter someone Currently experiencing what you went through years ago and debating, where am I? And we talk about the why me just now. And the other side of the equation is my whole future just sort of evaporated in front of me. What would you say to that person? 
first of all, I would have to acknowledge them for really acknowledging where they are because mm-hmm. you cannot get, it's just like a GPS Garmin. You can't get to <laughs> where you want to go without acknowledging where you are, right? right. You, can't, mm-hmm. you can't get a route from Google Maps unless you put in your current location. Right. So once you do that and, and really giving and really understanding how huge that is, to really put your mm-hmm. hand over your heart and be like, how do I feel in this moment? And if they're at a moment where I feel like my entire future has evaporated in front of my eyes, I feel mm-hmm. like I am lost. I feel like I don't know who I am. I, you know, if they are in that moment, then kudos to them for acknowledging it because it's the only way that you can get into alignment so that you can now chart a new course. What is it that you want? Mm-hmm. Really feeling into yourself and and who you are, who you want to be. What kind of life do you want to live? What do you want to do every day? What brings mm-hmm. you joy? What gives you meaning and purpose? That beautiful GPS coordinate then you can that you can plug in so that now life can open up the routes and the path the paths of least resistance, you know, to get from where you right. are now to where you want to go. And this is so cliche, but there's a reason why it's cliche, and that is it is about the journey. No, none of us have ever gotten to a destination and been like, eh, that's it, did it, <laughs> nailed life, you know, <laughs> my job. It's, it's an ongoing thing. Every single destination that we reach is just the starting point of your next journey. So that's right. there, if we are living in the moment, then there is no future. And there is no future that has evaporated. Maybe your expectations, maybe your mm-hmm. expectations have evaporated of what you thought your life was going to look like. Able to release those, the quicker that you're able to release those, the quicker that you're able to embrace the fact that the world is your oyster. You are a thousand mm-hmm. possibilities, a bajillion possibilities in this very moment. So where do you want to go? It's mm-hmm. all up to us. And we have such a beautiful opportunity in moments like that that we are given to really plot a new course. Fantastic. Paulo, thank you again for the great recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Tuesday morning, December 18th. My guest will be the Honorable Colonel Small Botman. She is the highest ranking woman on the White House staff during the Reagan presidency. First as Deputy Press Secretary and later as Senior Director of the National Security Council, where she had almost daily meetings with the President. Karna and I will be having a conversation about her life's journey and her recently released novel based on her years at the White House and the Reagan Missile Defense System titled Trust But Verify. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Paulo, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again and have a very blessed holiday season. Thank you so much. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you, Johnny. What a thoughtful, beautiful interview. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Mike has fob, the fear of missing McRib. So he cleared his calendar. Yo, dude, backstage passes? Nah. Hey, babe, this weekend? Ugh, can't do it. What up? That sounds great, but count me out. Do what you gotta do. Just don't miss the return of the sandwich, the myth, the legend, the McRib. Come into McDonald's today and get a delicious, saucy McRib sandwich. Made even better with the one-of-a-kind taste of Dr. Pepper, the one you crave. At participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Mike has fob, the fear of missing McRib. So he cleared his calendar. Yo, dude, backstage passes? Nah. Hey, babe, this weekend? Ugh, can't do it. What up? That sounds great, but count me out. Do what you gotta do. Just don't miss the return of the sandwich, the myth, the legend, the McRib. Come into McDonald's today and get a delicious, saucy McRib sandwich. Made even better with the one-of-a-kind taste of Dr. Pepper, the one you crave. At participate in McDonald's for a limited time. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 